Welcome to Church Online. My name is Pete, pastor here at Destiny, and whether this is your first time or whether this is a regular experience for you, really welcome. Let's pray and ask that God will speak to us where we are. Father, thank you so much that you're with us as we gather, both here and with everyone else's. I pray in Jesus' name that you would impact us, God. You know the journeys we're on. Some people are close to you. Some people are very far from you. And I pray that wherever we're at, God, you would speak, you would encourage us, you'd challenge us where necessary, but you'd take us on a journey closer to you. We pray this, Father, in Jesus' great name. Amen. Amen. You know, early parts of the, the school term, you often see kids on their way to school with their little rucksacks, and they've just, they've just got all their new clothes. And uh, you can tell that they're new to school because kids don't usually wear shirts. And sometimes, you know, in a, in a kind of crazy rush in the mornings, uh, everyone's just had to put their clothes on and mum or the dad wasn't there to help the kid put the shirt on. So they start with the wrong button and they end up finding it's all kind of lopsided. I mean, us adults, we never do... Oh, come on, of all weeks, of all weeks. So as you can see, I'm so sorry, I will try and not reveal anything here. Uh, but as you, if, if you get the... Let me just get the right one here. If you get the wrong button in first, all of a sudden, every other button isn't in sync. Now, this might take me a, a moment or two to readjust myself here, <laughs> but it's the same in life. How do you navigate the uncertainties of our world? How do you navigate a world that can throw up so many worries that we are all sorted, and so many worries, so many concerns, so many anxieties in every one of our lives? Well, the advice that Jesus is going to give us just now from Matthew's Gospel, chapter 6, is that actually it's about if you get the, just like that first button, as soon as if you get the first button right, then everything else in life lines up. And if you can get the certainty of a first priority in your life, then everything else in this very uncertain world kind of fits into place. Doesn't mean you have a perfect life, but boy, does it make a difference. So come with me to the words of Jesus Christ himself in Matthew chapter 6. This is what Jesus said in verse 25. Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet I tell you, your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they. Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about your clothes? See how the flowers of the fields grow? They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, how will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? So don't worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you know them, that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. I want you to repeat that last statement with me. One, two, three, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. Get the, like the first button in place and then everything else will fall into place. That's how you navigate the crazy worries of our crazy world. 
uh, a week or so ago, I was in Edinburgh City Centre and uh, happened to be in first thing in the morning and uh, the world was kind of waking up as it was and uh, I was on my way to uh, sit in a coffee shop and on my way to the coffee shop, I was in Rose Street, I passed a guy who was sleeping in a, in a kind of doorway and he was in a sleeping bag and you could see he was all bundled up and I got into conversation with him and I got my hot chocolate, we had a good conversation uh, and he, he'd obviously been, he'd been on something, well I know he'd been on something because he offered me something, he said, do you want one of these? I said, no, I'll give it a miss. Um, I, I actually said, no, I've got Jesus, I don't need that stuff. And uh, we got into a conversation about Jesus and I told him that, do you know, Jesus really loves you. And, uh, and I believe that when he came 2,000 years ago, he died for you and rose again. And he said, well, that's kind of 2,000 years too early, right? He said, how does that help me today? And I, he didn't realize, he didn't understand. And I went on to say, no, no, he didn't stay dead. He rose again. He's alive right now. And see, for many people, they think, sure, I like that you've got your religion. They see it like you've got a, a set of ideas or you've got a philosophy or you've got a kind of, well, it's good that you've got things to hold on to. They don't see it like it's, no, it's real. It, it actually is real. There is actually a great God in heaven who's interested in our lives and he intervenes. He actually does stuff. I mean, we, we, we don't just believe in a kind of abstract concept that makes us feel better about ourselves. No, no, we know God's. He does intervene in our lives. He is real. And that's what Jesus is saying. He's saying, listen, you can actually, literally, this God can put food on your table. He can literally put a roof over your head. He can make sure you're clothed. He can provide your every need. It's not just a kind of nice idea. It's a reality. This God can actually provide for you. And that's what Jesus is saying. You see, this real relationship with God, with the Father, should mean that we don't get consumed with the stuff of this life. That we don't get caught up with, well, what will we eat? What will we drink? Relationships, money, future, jobs, health, etc. We get so distracted by the, the things which legitimately are important things, but could consume our thinking. What Jesus is saying instead is get connected, get focused, and even get consumed in the right way with an awesome relationship with the God of the universe, with the creator. You can call him Father. You can actually know God. He can actually intervene in your time-space world. This is reality. It's not just a philosophy. That's what Jesus is saying. Now, when Jesus is saying, don't worry about your life, you know, in my mind, worry is like emotion going in the wrong direction. Um, he's saying, don't worry about your life. That's like, if you're in a car, that's like being in reverse. You're going backwards when you're worrying. And to, to not worry is to go into neutral. Okay, I'm not going to go backwards anymore. I'm just not, I'm just not going to, I'm not going to go that negative way. I'm just not going to worry anymore. But that could be like, okay, you've got it reverse, but you're now in neutral. But what now Jesus goes on to say is he says, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And what he's saying here is, okay, you were in reverse. You were going backwards. You were worrying. Okay, don't worry. So you're in neutral. Okay, I'm not worrying now, but you might not be going anywhere. And what Jesus is saying is, no, I want you to be fully in gear and in pursuit of something great. Do you see what I'm saying? He wants you to be moving forward. And in the season that we find ourselves in with this crazy pandemic and the world we find ourselves living in, it'd be very, very easy. Sure, you're not worrying, but you're just coasting. You're ticking over in neutral where God wants you actually, even in the middle of an unsettling time, to be in pursuit of a relationship with God and a life that brings honor and glory to God. 
seek first the kingdom of God. Well, what does it mean to seek first his kingdom? What is a kingdom? Well, if you were to ask a king, what is your kingdom? The king would answer, well, it's the area that I am king over. It's the geographical area that I rule over. If you were to ask God, what's your kingdom, God? The answer would be very similar. It would be the, the it's hearts and lives of people where God is allowed to be king in. It's where God has his authority. It's where people have willingly allowed, okay, God, I want you to be my ruler, my king, my master, my leader. And then when you yield to him as, as king and as God, then all of a sudden you are in the kingdom. And, and the, way it, the way I see it is it's like a solar system. When the sun is right full on in center of that solar system, then every planet is in perfect orbit. There's no collisions. Everything's in perfect synchronization. It all works seamlessly like it was meant to. But if all of us, if every planet had its own center rather than the sun, it would be chaos. It would be like a cosmic junkyard. There'd be collisions and the the whole order of the universe would fall apart. It only works because the planets share one center and that center is the sun. And the human race, originally we were created to know and have a relationship with God. But what happened is we decided we didn't want God as our God. We didn't want God as our king, as our leader. We want to be our own gods. We were our own bosses. And the human race since the very beginning has been living with that agenda. But the result has been it's things, things fly off into chaos. There's collisions. Life doesn't work like God designed or intended it to work. God wants to bring us back to that relationship with this king. There's an ancient prophecy given by a man called Jacob way back nearly 4,000 years ago. And Jacob, as he was dying, prophesied, and it's recorded for us in Genesis, and it's a prediction of the coming king, Jesus Christ. And this is what he says, Genesis chapter 49, verse 10. The scepter, that's, you know, the, like a king has a, a staff, a ruler's staff. The scepter will not depart from Judah. And that's a tribe in the people of Israel. The scepter will not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet, until he whom it belongs shall come, and the obedience of the nations shall be his. He will wash his garment in wine, his robes in the blood of grapes. Isn't that incredible? Here's a prediction of the coming of Jesus, actually almost 2,000 years before Jesus came into the world, 4,000 years ago in our history, and he prophesies that the ultimate ruler would come and he would be born in the, the lineage of the tribe of Judah, and Jesus was. Remember, Mary and Joseph, both of them found their lineage in that tribe. And not only would he be a ruler and a king, but he would be the ultimate king. And he would deserve the obedience of the nations. He didn't just come to rule over one people or the Jewish people, the king of the Jews. He came as the king of the world. He's the king of kings and lord of lords. He is the bona fide ruler of planet earth. He is the ultimate ruler. He is the future ruler. And he can be your ruler today. And it says the obedience of the nations are his. And notice it says a strange detail. It says he will wash his robes in the blood of grapes. This is an allusion and a pointing to the fact that this king, I mean, what king would do this? That this king would give himself on behalf of the rebellious, sinful human race. That's why Jesus came. Blows me away. You see, in the beginning, we took his place. We wanted to be God. We took his place in the fall, but he took our place in order to save us. We wanted to be God. We took his place, but God, the creator, became man 
and he took our place on the cross and died as our substitute for us. We put ourselves where God alone deserves to be, and he put himself where we alone deserve to be. What Jesus Christ did was so remarkable, and it saves your soul. You see, the essence of sin is us substituting ourselves for God, but the essence of salvation is God substituting himself for us. And the ultimate king, the ultimate ruler, the bona fide ruler of planet earth, Jesus Christ, came in humility and he died a terrible death on a cross, paying the price for your sin and for my sin, because we are sinners. We're rebels to the core. And then on the third day, he rose again. He's very much alive. And he invites you to be part of his great kingdom, which is eternal, which is eternal life. And it's the best life here and in eternity. So how do you get saved? How do you experience that? Well, you get saved by acknowledging him as that ruler, that king. It says in Romans chapter 10, verse 9, if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. I remember as a kid growing up, I'd heard the stories about the resurrection of Jesus, how at Easter we celebrate how Jesus rose from the dead. And do you know what? Honestly, I believed it. If he's God, God, God can do all things, of course. I had no problem believing that miraculous account. I believed it was an historical fact. But my life was unchanged. What changed when I was 15 was in a little lane at the back of my house, I acknowledged Tim as Lord. I actually came under the authority of this one who had risen again. I said, Jesus, be Lord of my life. My deepest prayer for some of you today, maybe you're joining today and you're not yet in that relationship. You can know God. And it, and it is a big thing. It's a big thing because it means you're coming under the authority of Jesus over every area of your life. Imperfectly, yes, but willingly, yes. And that's what saves your soul, trusting Jesus' resurrection and trusting him and declaring him to be your Lord. What does it mean to seek first the kingdom of God? Well, it means you're willingly submitted your life in every area to his will. It means that you're seeking his will above your will. You do that in the moment of salvation, but the way you continue to live in the flow of that is what Jesus said, seek first his kingdom. As you're every day in your decisions and your relationships and the crossroads of life, you keep seeking first his kingdom. And then all other things, all the other stuff of life, all the things you need, yep, he'll cover it. Don't worry. He's got it. Just get that thing right, that first button, and then everything else falls in line. So what does it mean to seek first the kingdom? I've got four ways. I'm just going to break it down for you and make it real practical. Okay, I think it, first of all, it means seek first the kingdom with your time. Um, you see, Jesus modeled this for us. He began his day with prayer. It says in Mark's gospel, chapter 1, verse 35, very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. You see, Spiritually fruitful people aren't people who are necessarily smarter than others. Spiritually fruitful people aren't people who necessarily even work harder than others. Spiritually fruitful people are people who have got that connection with the Father. And it's just a daily connection. And it's just week in, week out, month in, month out, just to remain connected. And sometimes it looks very unexciting. But it's just that daily rhythm of walking with God causes a fruitfulness. Just like a branch, if it's connected to the vine, that branch can't help but bear grapes. Just stay connected to the vine. 
You stay in that relationship. Fruitfulness will be inevitable. You all you need to try. You'll be spiritually fruitful. And Jesus prioritized this every day. I love what the great reformer Martin Luther said. And this is kind of reverse, reverse thinking. He said this, I've got so much to do today. I should spend the first three hours in prayer. <laughs> I mean, that's because it like, seems so crazy, but it's so true. It's so true. And again, hey, whether it's first thing in the morning, whether that's your thing, or whether it's in the evening, I don't know. I don't know. Some of you are morning people. Some of you are evening people. It doesn't matter. Just the point is this. Don't give God the dregs. Give him the priority in your day. I remember hearing the story of a couple of wood choppers, and they were, they were about to go out and lop wood with an axe, and they were in a forest. And they were each given a quarter of logs that they needed to meet as their daily required target. And so they disappear off into the forest and they start chopping. One of the guys, they're both going at it, they're both going at it. And then they hear the kind of the loud horn blowing further down from where their base camp is. And that tells them, okay, it's their 10 o'clock coffee break. So one of them pops off, gets his flask, has a cup of coffee, while the other one just keeps chopping. He said, no, I don't have time for a coffee. I'm just going to keep going. I've got to get my quota of logs. Anyway, the guy comes back after a 15-minute break and gets going again. And then they're chopping. And then they hear the, the clacks and the sound go. It's the lunchtime break. And the, the, the guy said, I'm off to have my lunch. And he gets a sandwich box and he goes off and have his lunch. But the other guy says, I haven't got time to go off and have my lunch. I've just got to keep chopping. I've got to get my quota of logs. And then after lunch, the guy returns and starts chopping again. And then in the afternoon, there's the afternoon coffee break. And the same thing happens. The one guy disappears off and has his break while the other guy just keeps going. And they get to the end of the day and they count up the logs that they've chopped down. And the guy who took the breaks had actually chopped more logs than the guy who worked through every break. And the guy who worked through every break was scratching his head and said, well, how on earth is that possible? I was grafting all day long and you took your breaks. And the guy said, well, it's just dead simple. When I was having my cup of coffee, I was also sharpening my axe head. And when I was having my sandwiches, I was... Sharp, with that sharpening stone, I was sharpening my axe head. And you know, you might think, oh, I don't have time to pray. My schedule's crazy. Well, you have got your life topsy-turvy. Do you not realize that if you get the first button right, just everything else falls into place? You get a relationship with God right. And hey, morning or evening doesn't matter. Just figure out your quality. Don't give them the dregs. Give them the best. And it sharpens your life like nothing else. God loves you whether you give him this time or not, but it will really help you to be more spiritually fruitful. Seek first his kingdom and all other things will be added to you as well. Stephen Covey, who wrote the fantastic uh, motivational book, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. In his third chapter, which is entitled First Things First, he said this, the key is not to prioritize what's on your schedule, but to schedule your priorities. And so I just want to encourage you, just overhaul your life. Don't wait till the new year. Do it now. Either God's a priority or he's not. He was your priority to get you saved, right? But you need, you need him in every day of your life. So reprioritize your life. Figure out a new plan. Give God the quality time in your morning. You might not do like Martin Luther, three hours but whether it's morning, afternoon, or evening, you figure out the priority and give them that priority time and get in a rut that you can stay in for the next decade or the next two decades and live in that place of relationship with God. You know, I find, to be honest, the first 10 minutes of my prayer time is just me getting my head demushed <laughs> and focused on God 
Uh, you know, if, so if you plan, oh, I'll have 10 minutes of prayer. Mm, okay, that's me just like kind of, it's, it's like a car that's starting from cold. It just doesn't perform as well. I need that first 10 minutes just to get into the zone and then I'm ready to pray. Always include the Bible in your prayer times as well. I always start, that's for me, that's how I start. I listen to the Bible. I go for a walk and listen to the Bible. And then having listened to it, I then pray and call upon God. You figure out your patterns, but pray. Know God, relationship with God. You know, every morning, uh, weekday mornings, we have a thing called Facebook Live Prayer. You can join us any day, by the way, 7 o'clock for 10, maybe 15 minutes of prayer just to start your day. Facebook Live, you can join us. Okay, seek first the kingdom of God. What does it mean? Well, first of all, it means with your time. But secondly, it means with your talent. What talent has God placed in your life? (laughs) I heard someone say, heaven is where the police are British, the chefs are Italian, the mechanics are German, the lovers are French, and the organizers are Swiss. Hell is where the police are German, the chefs are British, the mechanics are French, (laughs) the lovers are Swiss, and we're organized by the Italians. <laughs> yeah, I offended everyone there, so hopefully no one's offended. But you got to play everyone to their strengths, right? Everyone has got their strength. Everyone's got their weaknesses. Everyone's got their strengths. God has placed talents in your life. What, what talents has God placed in your life? I love this verse in 1 Peter, and it describes how you're to use your talents. 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 10. Each one of you should receive whatever gifts you have received to serve others as good stewards, as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. There's a word, it's an important word in that verse, it's steward. What does a steward mean? Well, a steward means that you're not the possessor, you're the, it's on loan to you. You're stewarding that which is another's. God has given you these gifts. You didn't come up with them yourself. The gifts in your life are from God. It says in Psalm 24, verse 1, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. In other words, there's never anything in this life you can say, it's mine. No, nothing. Literally nothing. Even your life and breath, your talents and abilities are from God. There was a pastor preaching in this one day, and there was a very wealthy guy in his congregation. And and he said to the pastor afterwards, the pastor was preaching about how we are owners of nothing. We're just stewards of that which God has entrusted to us. And this wealthy guy took issue with it. And he said, Pastor, I'm not so sure I believe that. And he said, anyway, let's discuss it. Let me take you for lunch this week. Come to my house for lunch. So later in the week, the guy, the pastor turned up at this guy's house. And it was a huge house, massive house. And he, before lunch, he took him for a tour around his property. And he took him and showed him the, the colossal grounds he had and all his possessions and his fancy cars and his big house. And, and, and he, uh, they stood there at a kind of vantage point just before they were about to have lunch. And he, and he said, it, he looked out at all and said, are you telling me that this isn't mine? And the pastor with a smile said, well, ask me in a hundred years. <laughs> and it's true. Because you're just a steward. You're just a steward. Everything you have, your best gifts and talents and abilities are gifts from God to you. The question isn't, are you talented? The question is, are you using your talents for the purpose that God gave it to you? A successful person isn't just someone who uses the talents. There are many people who use their God-given talents, but they do not acknowledge God whatsoever or bless others whatsoever. They're making a life for themselves using the talents that God gave them for his glory. And yet, according to the verse, it's when it says, 
as, as faithful stewards. The faithful steward is the person who uses the talent that God's placed in their life for the glory of God and for the benefit of other people. What gifts has he placed in your life? Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and everything else will be added to you. It means use your talents for the glory and honor of God and for the blessing of people. Why don't you, why don't you use, your talent, use your talents for the glory of God and the benefit of others? You know, one of the ways you can do that is serve in the church. And I encourage you, if you want to serve practically, go to destinyedinburgh.com forward slash serve and find a place where you can use your talents for the glory of God and the benefit of others. The third way I think you can seek first the kingdom of God is with your treasure. It says in Proverbs chapter 3, verses 9 to 10, honor the Lord from your wealth and from the first of all your produce. So your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. This is a principle we see uh, all through Scripture, Old and New Testaments, where as you honor God financially, He prospers you. And there's actually one of the, the, the this idea of giving the first actually is, is used all through the Old Testament to describe what we call throughout the Bible the tithe, the 10%. And it says in Exodus chapter 23, verse 19, bring the best of the first fruits, which is your tithe, it's 10% of your soil to the house of the Lord. And for us today, that's the church. Now, we understand the principle that you honor God financially, and I believe with all my heart, and, and what I've lived since I was a teenager means I give 10% of my income to the Lord, and over and above that, I give tithes, and I give off alms to the poor. And that's how, that's just the rhythm I live with. And I, I've seen this verse, these verses, that you do that, God blesses you. I don't do it to be blessed. I do it because I love God. But in doing it, I am blessed. It opens up the way for blessing in my life. And it's a way of seeking first his kingdom, then everything else is added to you. But notice, it's not just called the tithe, it's called the first fruit. You see, tithe is an amount, 10%. First fruit gives it a new understanding. It, 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 it's the priority. You see, if you have, imagine you, you, you're working as a laborer and you get paid £100 cash for your day's work and you get it in 10 £10 notes. The question is, which one of those £10 notes is the tithe? <laughs> okay, which one is it? Well, the answer is, it's the first one that leaves your hand. So who are you going to tithe to? If you go by the sweetie shop on the way home from your day laboring and you, you buy you know, a bottle of Coke and, and some sweets, then you've just tithed to the news agent. <laughs> See, it's not just the amount, it's the order of priority. So for me, it's, I have a standing order going out first of the month uh, for tithes, offerings, almsgivings, and we, we just prioritize it. First thing that goes out is the tithe. And do you know, actually, that's a step of faith. It's a step of faith. If, if it's like, all right, I'll see what's left at the end of the month, and then I'll see this month if I can tithe. That's not a step of faith. For me, I, I say, no, no, the first thing that goes out is the tithe. And and the offerings and the almsgiving, and then seek first the kingdom of God and everything else is added. And our testimony has been that sure, some months are pretty tight, but God has provided our every need. And over the years, just that week in, week out, week in, week out, just honoring God in this way. I, I, my testimony has been, and I know many of your testimonies have been, as we've honored God in this way, God has totally provided for us. If you want to think about your giving, go to destinyedinburgh.com forward slash giving, giving to the house of the Lord. Seek first his kingdom means with your time, 
It means with your talent. It means with your treasure. And finally, it means with your testimony. It's really important. Matthew 6, 33, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. There was a Chinese farmer and he had cataracts in his eyes and there was a missionary in this, this rural area that had set up a medical clinic and he treated this guy's cataracts and he could see again and he was so, so chuffed. It was almost like a new lease of life. Anyway, the week following the missionary looked out from his medical station, he looked out and there was the Chinese farmer coming towards him with a rope. And all the way along this rope was about 10 other farmers who had cataracts holding onto the rope and they were following him all the way back to the mission station where they also could get their treatment. You know, when you've experienced something, when you've received a gift, it is the most natural thing, especially if you know that gift is for everyone. It would be the most natural thing for you to tell people about that gift. If you've received eternal life in Jesus Christ, why would you not want to tell other people about that? I get sometimes it's socially awkward. I get it. Okay, I get it. I get in polite company, not want to talk about religion. Stuff that. People need hope. People need the truth. And you're carrying the ultimate answer. Do not be a secret Christian. It's not enough for people to know, oh yeah, they're a Christian. Yeah, but that's, that's not witnessing the fact that they know you're a Christian. Because they might have it in their heads, Christian means X, Y, and Z. They don't know that you can be forgiven for all your sins and have eternal life. They don't know that's available for them. They don't realize the predicament they're in outside of God. You haven't told them. And the Holy Spirit wants to use you as a means by which life can come their way. You know, Penn Gillette, he's the, you've heard of Penn and Teller, the comic illusionist act in Las Vegas. And uh, they're, they're pretty well known. And, and Penn Gillette, one of the comic act, He's a very vocal atheist, but he, he said, and you can Google this yourself, you can check out this video clip, and I think it's so fascinating. One day after one of his shows, there was an old gentleman. At the end of the show, they give an opportunity for people to come up and say hi, and they can sign things for them, and you know all that kind of stuff. And this old gentleman was lingering at the side at the end of one of the shows, and he came over to Pendulette, and he said to him, I, I genuinely loved your show. I thought you were brilliant. You've got a great way with people. And, and he was genuinely complimentary. And then he, he pulled out of his pocket a little red Gideon's Bible with the New Testament. And he said, I've, I've signed this Gideon's Bible for you. And I pray for you. And I would love to give this to you. Jesus has changed my life. And I believe he wants to change your life. And he gave him this New Testament. Pendulette, instead of being offended was actually encouraged by that. And here's what Pendulette said about someone who was trying to evangelize him, okay? Proselytize him. This is what he said. I've always said, you know, that I don't respect people who don't proselytize. I don't respect that at all. If you believe that there's a heaven and a hell and that people are going to either hell or not getting eternal life or whatever, and you think that, well, it's really not worth telling them because it would make it socially awkward. How much do you have to hate someone not to proselytize? How much do you have to hate someone to believe that everlasting life is possible and not tell them that? I mean, if I believe beyond a shadow of a doubt that a truck was coming at you and bearing down on you, there's a certain point where I'm going to tackle you. And this is more important than that. And he's absolutely right. 
the logical conclusion is if you really believe in this great God as we do, then why would you not want to do everything you can? It, very simply, I remember when I was 15 and I became a Christian. I, I was so grateful my sins were forgiven. I'm going to heaven. And I remember making a decision. Okay, God, I'm going to heaven. So now from here on in, that big box is ticked for me. I want to do everything I can to bring as many people with me as possible. And that includes some of you watching me today. God wants you to be in his kingdom. I live with an agenda. When I have a conversation with someone, there's an agenda in my head. When I'm in a coffee shop, I have an agenda. I'm not an agendaless person. I'm not pretending. I have an agenda. Crystal clear. My agenda is I desperately want to see you in relationship with the God who made you. Whether you join my church or not, secondary, you'd be very welcome to. But me, the primary thing is this, do you know God? And church, I encourage you, be people of an agenda, live with an agenda. This week, we're going to be posting out physically. If you're in the Edinburgh and Lothians area, we're going to be sending you, if we have your address, a pile of little invitations to the Carols event that we're doing online. It's going to be amazing. Hey, of all years, your friends are going to be interested in coming. Give them out. Live with an agenda. Hand them out to as often as many people as you can. Share on social media all that's going to be happening over Christmas. The Christmas isn't cancelled website. Tell people we have an agenda and our agenda is to point people to Jesus. By the way, if you haven't already given your contact details, go to destinyedinburgh.com forward slash connect where you can leave your contact details and then we'll make sure we post out those invitations to you. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for the great news about Jesus Christ. The ultimate king has come. And God, we don't want to be those who put secondary things first. We want to put first things first. Just like the shirt button, we want to get the first shirt button right, then everything else falls into place. God, right now, and I want you folks to pray this with me, right now, God, we commit that you would be first in our life. And it's easy to say that, God, but in reality, we want you to be first in our time, in our calendars. We want you to be first with the use of our talents and abilities. God, we want you to be first with our finances and resources because everything we have came from you originally anyway. And God, we want you to be first with our testimony. Give us the boldness to live with an agenda, not to avoid conversations, but to be honest and tell people in loving ways without forcing them people's throats. But yeah, nevertheless, we want to tell people about Jesus. Oh God, help us. And while you're praying, maybe just everyone just keep praying your response just now to what you've heard. And while we're praying, I'm aware maybe you're here today and you're not yet in that relationship with God. So chuffed you've joined today. And my heart for you is you know God. Right now, if that's you and you're saying, Peter, I want God. I really want him. I I don't just believe that he's, you know, Jesus has risen from the dead. I want him to be Lord of my life then this is your moment. Pray this prayer with me just now. The words will come up beside me. You can use these words, but pray this from the bottom of your heart. Pray, dear God, thank you for loving me. Jesus, thank you for dying in my place so that I can be forgiven and have eternal life. I believe you rose from the dead. Take first place in my heart. I declare Jesus 
is Lord of my life from now on. Thank you, God, for hearing my prayer. Amen. And he did. He heard you. And he's just saved your soul. As you trusted in Jesus, he's heard your prayer and a miracle has taken place in the depth of your being. You're now God's. Now follow him with a passion and tell others about him. If you did that, if you prayed the prayer, let us know you did it. We want to do everything we can as a church to help you on your journey.